early on that first office that we started and you know just started fixing iphone screens and stuff like that um we we just went i think we went to ikea and spent like thirty five hundred dollars and just bought all this stuff like furniture and like <laughs> awesome like yeah. curtains and and we we took the we it was like lipstick on a pig like it was a completely crappy office in fact we had one customer tell us that she wouldn't get out of her car um to come fix her iphone screen because it was too sketchy Hey everyone, welcome to In Progress with Motion Tactic. In this episode, Kyle and I meet with Brandon Garrett, the co-founder of Onboard IT. Brandon and I actually went to high school together, and believe it or not, we met in PE class. Uh, Brandon started his business out of an ASU accelerator program during college while he was studying aerospace engineering, and he talks a lot about how he was unable to pursue his original business idea and how he eventually pivoted and started his existing business, Onboard IT. Brandon has worked hard to successfully grow his company, and during our conversation, he opens up about some of those successes, his challenges, and early mistakes that a lot of us make when we're starting a new business. So without any further ado, let's jump in. Alrighty, everyone. Welcome to In Progress with Motion Tactic. Today, we have Brandon Garrett from Onboard IT. Hey, We're really excited to have you here, man. Yeah, excited to be here, too. So... Um, we haven't really had too much time to prep today, but we just wanted to learn more about your background, how you got your business started, um, eventually leading up to, you know, where the business is today and, um, just learning about the challenges that you faced and the things you've learned. Um, so yeah. So how long have you been in business now? So we started in 2014 as an ASU startup. Um, so we've been around for almost six years now. Um, yeah, and got, wow. kind of got our foot in the door as a, more of a student project at, at ASU, um, which then transitioned into a business um, kind of through the EC program and the engineering startup schools. So in terms of being an ASU business, what does, does ASU contribute like resources and capital to you guys or... What do they provide to help get you off the ground? So in that program, uh, the eSeed program, yeah. it was kind of, I wouldn't call it like an accelerator, kind of like an incubator. So there was a little bit of grant funding that came from us winning that program out of like 40 companies. Wow. Um, but we also got to do a trip to California, to San Jose. Um, and Tom Prescott, who's the who was the ex-CEO of Invisalign, was the, the uh, funding partner, I guess, of that program. So he donated a bunch of funds back to ASU. Um, and he took us out to San Jose for kind of like our final round. So our final pitch was at their boardroom in San Jose. Um, and we ended up getting like around $5,000 of grant funding from that program. Cool. Um, and that kind of kicked us off. And we also found our, our long-term mentor who's stuck with us to today, um, who meets with us like once a month now. Wow. Um, so that was a huge kind of in tangible, well, like not a monetary resource that was huge to our growth too, and has continued to be pretty instrumental in, in growth. Nice. What's the background of your mentor? Like what's his professional background? So our mentor, Joan, it's, her background is mostly in like brokerage, uh, brokerage and Wall Street type stuff. Um, wow. So she moved from New York uh, quite a few years ago, um, but now is mostly in the role of like helping larger businesses create business plans around like investment rounds and stuff like that. Does she have a stake in your business? No. Interesting. So, um, she doesn't have a stake in the business, but just, you know, looking to give back and has been really, really helpful. 
Um, and yeah, just kind of like a, an always there figure, just kind of keeping me primarily in check um, and making sure that like our progress stays healthy and we're headed in the right direction. That so, sounds, yeah, I was gonna say that that sounds genuinely like altruistic of her. And yeah, sometimes I, my mind is like, so she gets paid or <laughs> she like owns your business or no, like, what's no. happening here? No, definitely. Like, so I think a lot of times people like, especially if they've been fairly successful, um, they're just looking to give back in a lot of ways. Like they're, they're really not looking for like additional money. They've made their investments. They've made their career. Wow. So yeah, I think in Joan's case, like it, it is, uh, really altruistic. She just wants to be there to help. Um, and so, That's yeah, really cool. we're, we're definitely like really appreciative of that. She's kind of almost become family at this point, yeah, which is, is cool. So, wow. so when you guys, um, started in this program at ASU was the original vision to become an IT support company or like what did the original vision of the business look like no at, at that point yeah so it, it definitely was a lot different at that point okay. um the original the, the original vision was more like just-in-time tech support so at that time we were thinking okay like maybe we'll make an app um, and you can press her button and do like a facetime-esque kind of support request and it could just be anybody they just need help with their email really at the cool. airport so that was kind of our original pitch, and we had like vans all mocked up and everything. But we really quickly realized to reach that type of like quick service, um, you needed like massive amounts of funding, and so there was going to be no way for us to feasibly do that mm -hmm. um, as as an early company. So honestly, like while we were in that program too, we had an office like in Tempe, and we were literally just replacing iPhone screens to pay for rent, basically. Wow. So for, for a bit of time, people actually thought that we were like, they would follow up with me. They're like, how's the iPhone business going? And I'm like, uh, we're trying to do tech support. <laughs> I'm just trying to pay the bills. But, that sounds um, so familiar. Yeah. Not, not, so, not iPhone. Yeah. Not fixing yeah, iPhones. Yeah. We can resonate done. with it because yeah. like we just would have to take whatever job there was. Like the, yeah, when yeah. you're first starting, it's like if you don't have money yep. to pay your bills if you don't have money to pay your employees it's like it's anything to get your foot in the door anything. and pay some bills but yeah so the the original concept was like that quick um tech support model but we, we like i said we realized pretty quickly that um that that was just not going to work with the scale we were at and we we quickly thereafter realized that residential or like non-business customers just didn't have enough funding to really pay the type of bills yeah that makes sense so we we pretty early on focused like almost exclusively on businesses and did some residential support like here and there. Once again, kind of just got to pay the bills. But since then, we've pretty much eliminated any sort of residential customers at all. Like we're just focused on business services now. Right. Uh, so it, is it just you as an owner of the business? Yeah, I'm the sole owner now. So Dallas is still with the company. He's one of the original co-founders. He actually took kind of an interlude uh, to do some other stuff that he was working on, um, and he came back on the team in twenty, like the beginning of twenty nineteen, uh, last year actually. So he's back with the team, but uh, I'm the only like uh, owner of the company currently. So yeah, and, and I think at some point, like years ago, when you and I were talking, were you guys running separate businesses? We were, yeah, at that time. So we had always kind of been working on like. Like I said, it started as a lot of a project, like in school. So Dallas kind of had some projects he was working on. I had some projects. Um, so we, we kind of had, he had a separate business at that time as well. So he did kind of go and, and work on that. It didn't really fully take to fruition, but um, he had always remained pretty focused on the goal of like IT services as well. Um, 
And so I guess we could probably talk a little bit about that too. Like, why did we even start this? Or like, why why did we both leave our jobs at ASU? Yeah. Um, so I both uh, Dallas and I were working in IT at ASU. Um, Dallas was working for Michael Crow, the president, uh, the president's office. Um, and I was working in um, research and administration. Uh, so like all the research dollars that come through ASU, we were supporting all the admin staff, about like 400 people. Um, and and were it, you guys doing this as students or were these yeah. full-time jobs? Dallas after? took it Dallas took it to a full-time position and like um, was doing school as well as working a full-time salary job. Um, and I was just a student worker. So both of us spent almost all four years at ASU like working in IT. Um, and so the, the catalyst, uh, to like just leave our jobs and even start this ASU had like incredible tech support, right? A really good enterprise setup, And, uh, like we, we noticed that we were like, wow, okay, this every, the way that the, the structure, the systems are structured here is really, really good. So we wanted to take that enterprise type model and just bring it to private companies, like especially smaller ones, you know, small to mid-sized businesses, because we looked and we're like, man, these these businesses are being served by like IT handymen in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. And if we could take that enterprise model of IT and boil it down so that it's affordable for those size businesses, that's that's a great business model. Right. So we both told our bosses, we're like, we're just quitting. And that's when we started that office. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the, the catalyst to getting everything started. Nice. Thanks for sharing that. Yep. What were some of the original challenges? Like after you guys quit your job, started this company, what were, was it getting clients? Was it overworking yourselves? Was it trying to hire? What did that look like? Well, the, uh, the, the, the first hurdle was that we were still in school. So I, I was in my senior year of aerospace engineering and trying to finish like senior projects and like start a company. So it, like I said, I mean, it's, it was started more as like a project and we actually surprisingly did some kind of like guerrilla marketing tactics and just were able to generate like quite a few uh, clients just through brute force, like just finding tons of emails, sending emails out to people and just getting surprisingly some really big brands in, in, um, in we the Phoenix Metro. It. Yeah. Cause like, and we had like one of the most premier real estate brands reach out to us during that period when we were doing that. And they've been a client since. Yeah. So just stuff like that. that it's sounds... kind of incredible that they even reached out, but yeah. Um, like finding clients wasn't too bad. It was mostly balancing school and work. That was pretty difficult in the early, like in the very beginning, obviously like we were generating no revenue. So like, I think I made like $2,000 the first year that I quit my job. So I mostly funded that year of college on like my visa credit card. Um, yeah. And racked up like 20, like over $20,000 in credit card debt to basically supplement the time spent in the company. Um, and yeah, but, it, but it did reach a head where like, uh, we had enough clients when I graduated that I actually was able to make that switch to full time. Um, and I think that's one challenge of startups. Like there's oftentimes, a uh, multiple founding partners and there's not enough money to go around. So that's why Dallas kind of had out of necessity had to go work on other things because there's only enough money to pay me like a minimum weight, like, you know, yeah. just a bare bones salary the, that first year after graduation. Dude, we get it. Yeah. yeah we I were mean, right there. there yeah. We, we talk about like our early times, like we were so focused in like trying to grow the business that we didn't want to pocket anything more than we really needed to. So we were just like, you know, we had a really candid conversation, like what's the minimum amount of money we can make to pay our personal bills? And like, yeah. that's where we started. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it is, 
it is a painful process in the beginning when you're starting a business. You just I think if you're in the right mindset, it's it's much less painful. Um, for me, it it was never misery because I never like I never expected anything else. Um, so I, yeah. I graduated and I knew I had that long term vision of like where this is going to end up. So I didn't even really care about where I was in the interim, like. I made like $35,000 the first year that I came out of school and I should have been making like $70,000, $80,000 as an aero engineer, right? Right. So, uh, yeah, you just have to, You, I think you have to be willing to accept that. And that's what some people, or I think a lot of people struggle. And one of the barriers to entry for a business is being willing to just like do that. And if, if you're in that right mindset, you don't even worry about it because you have that long-term vision. So it's just a transient period anyways. You're like... Yeah. Well, okay. Well, I, I wonder what that long-term vision is. Like where, where do you, or where did you see the business then? And is that like the similar to where you see the business now or is that like evolving? Um, yeah. I mean, I think it's still, obviously the vision's always evolving slightly in terms of what that looks like at the end of the road. And I don't think anybody knows that fully. Um, surely that, that shifts and ebbs and flows, but um, the visions remain the same, I think, since the beginning, which is, you know, going, really going national with this. So, um, yeah, the real, really the only reason that I want to be in business is to create something really large. So I, I just never went into it wanting to have kind of a small firm. I, like I knew that I wanted to take it national. Um, and I don't know how many branches that might be, but at least, you know, something of, of fairly substantial size. Um, I don't think like, yeah, there's not like a specific dollar amount or number of employees or right. number of cities or anything. Um, I just, I definitely want to take it to its maximum potential. Sure. Um, and I think that that means, you know, there's a lot of companies in our same business model, but a lot of times they'll kind of grow to the maximum size that their market permits. Like Phoenix, you know, you might have like 30 full-time technicians. Yep. And you have this amazing business model, but you don't, I don't understand, you know, a lot of times they just don't transplant that model to another city. Um, and I think if you have the right key partners, investors, and the right team and processes, like it's pretty easily repeatable, especially IT. I mean, you could go anywhere in the world and it's the same, same stuff. Is your business um, like location dependent? Somewhat. You can reduce that a lot, I think. Um, you know, uh, it's, it's actually a very interesting state of IT right now. Um, a lot of what we do ends up being remote and based on telemetry, especially for security. So if you can get the right sensors in systems, networks, um, servers, applications, databases, then you can take that telemetry and um, you know diagnose most of this stuff remotely, whether it's security or maybe just an end user question on their desktop. Like you can just remote in. Um, so there is still definitely a physical dependency, whether that's for like servers or networks. Um, but you can supplement that with like a kind of boots on the ground. Um, and there's a number of ways to kind of go around that. But yeah, I, I'd say we have clients like honestly in multiple countries at this point, we have some in like South America, um, well, mostly South America, like Mexico, Chile, um, and a number of like end users on the East coast. And obviously wow. this is just like the very beginning stages, you know, you get companies that just kind of have people all over the place. Right, right. So it's going to get uh, much more extensive where we have to be able to deliver that standardization. Um, but yeah, I'd say in the initial stages, definitely location dependent, but long-term mostly can be done remotely. Yeah, that makes sense. So for 
so you guys, you, you mentioned earlier that you work for mostly like small to mid-sized businesses. Yeah. So we're like a 12-person company here. Yep. Is that who you guys tend to work with or larger than that? Yeah, so um, that's one area that's definitely been evolving. Um, as As we make investments in our infrastructure and our systems, we're realizing like the amount of effort and labor that goes into those systems, you, you really need to get the economy of scale. Yep. It's very difficult and noisy to have like small firms that are generating a lot of requests. Um, that being said, we, we started with those companies, so we have like a passion to still be able to help small companies, but there is kind of a breaking point where it either makes sense for us financially or not. Um, as we're, as we're growing this out, um, we're looking at like probably between a number between 10 and 20 employees, um, as a minimum entry point for services. Um, cause that's really where you get enough economy of scale. It, it can be a profitable relationship. Right. And um, for companies of that size, what does the typical agreement look like? So managed services, um, typically are pretty inclusive of, of a lot of different technologies, so um, for most most companies that come and get like a, a monthly agreement for us, it's usually per user. Um, and there's there's some supplemental licensing like software or um, maybe like servers or networks. Sometimes there's like additional a la carte type pricing, um, especially backup because that can vary depending on the company. Sometimes they have tons of servers and that needs to have a certain level of backup. So those kinds of things can vary, but generally it's a, a fee per user. And we support kind of A to Z for their their um, infrastructure. Um, most of our customers are in Office 365, so you kind of have like G Suite and Office 365 as the two major platforms. Um, but so we're really built and uh, and structured around the Microsoft or Office 365 ecosphere. And um, yeah, we generally cover all of that. Um, any network problems, any servers, application hosting, backup, disaster recovery email systems, some somewhat of like VoIP stuff, um, especially now that Microsoft Teams is offering VoIP phones through Teams. So we've been starting to get into that a little bit. Um, but yeah, just really like a business comes to us and, and almost everything short of like a website, like what you guys do, is really like on our plate yeah. to make sure that it's in order for the company. So, okay, so you have a pretty locked down list like here's the services we're offering that really fit like our base uh has it always been like that or has that been a working process to get there no definitely a working progress like um it, it's it's an ever shrink not shrinking list but more well-defined list because that uh technology is so incredibly complex it's really um sometimes difficult to explain those like boundaries of scope of work when the product is so complex and, and it's like, no, that, that, that's a project or no, this is included in monthly maintenance. Um, so we're looking every day to define that line better um, and more clearly as well as um, make sure that the standards for that, that covered stack are more narrow because, I mean, like even in networks, you have like seven primary vendors of like network gear. So we can't expect our technicians to like understand every single one of them. Um, right. So we really like networks is just one example. Like every other aspect of technology has many, many vendors too. So we we're kind of defining what that standard looks like now. And that's gonna be really critical to our success long term. Yeah. Because um 
not keeping that honed in and really being like the niche expert in that stack and, and explaining to the customer why you've chosen that um, and believe that it's the best fit for them. Otherwise, you're just kind of like opening Pandora's box of just, you know, any type of solution. And it's just really unscalable to totally. train people on. I mean, for us, uh, I mean, thinking about what you're describing there, like um, I knew somebody who was building a, like a large list of certifications on Cisco products. And like, I know like that took him years to get really competent on yep. like a lot of the Cisco products. And I can imagine that if you wanted to like become really competent at multiple vendors, product offerings, like you could, you yeah. Know. No. Yeah. People, people legitimately spend years of their life, like training and certifying on these products. And it's my role right now to kind of manage all of them. So it's been a little bit chaotic, but, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's an incredible amount of work to train, especially networks are a big one. Um, servers and like application delivery also goes incredibly deep. So those two areas require tons of expertise. Um, but yeah, it, it is a lot of work. And once you once you invest that time, like now you're the Cisco expert and yeah, you understand, um, you know, the the generalities of networking, but then doing that with another vendor, like how you do that, right? Or how you use the command line or the GUI um, to actually make those network changes takes a lot of time to figure out like all the, the quirks and how it works. Yeah, like even as an expert um, of the fundamentals, implementing solutions with specific technology takes learning, takes practice, yeah. takes, yeah. Are we like it, we can completely resonate with this because if we were to jump on a new website platform, yeah, um, just sometimes our customers say like they want a Drupal website or they're on like something we have never even you know heard of or something mm-hmm. like that. And they'll say, hey, we have this old CMS or something like that. Can you build us a website or add to it? And we're just like, uh, probably not. Yeah, like, and oftentimes that's the only solution they think they have or they think they're locked into it. So there's just a lot of consultation that goes yeah. you know, along with it. But. And that's good on you guys to do that this early because, I mean, you're recognizing the same thing. It, it, you can't open that box and, the, you know, you get too diluted and you become mediocre at all the platforms. That's right. Instead of, like, really good at one. Yeah, we joke about agencies that say they um, do everything, yeah, quote, unquote, everything. Yeah. yeah. You'll say, like, yeah, uh, we're a digital agency. You know, we basically do everything, websites, design, video, marketing. It's like... Mm, yeah, how are, much you, of that are you doing well? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like, can you can you produce amazing video content and deliver amazing websites, and then do SEO and paid advertising? Probably not, unless you have a big, Huge big, staff, big team. Yeah, right. Yeah, and you have departments. Yeah. Then it's feasible. But right. yeah. yeah, you got a you got a forty person roster, and it's like, okay, cool. You've got some experts here yeah. that focus on those things. You got a five, ten, twelve person roster. Probably not. Yeah. Yeah. You're talking about time, and I kind of want to transition into talking more about how you spend your time on the business today. I mean, you talked a lot about getting going, getting started. Um, what does your day-to-day look like? Is it you know, working with your employees? I, I know for me and Tyler, that's con- that's constantly something that's changing. Yeah. <laughs> it's shifting as we grow into new seasons as a company. So, Also, how big is your team? So right now we're four people. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously some other people like kind of loosely connected, but like four of us full time right now, like I mentioned before, like, uh, we're trying to keep the team as small as we can, um, and really drive a higher revenue and efficiency versus just adding headcount. 
Um, that's I think that's really critical to having a competitive advantage in our market, especially you know to keep the price point reasonable. Yeah. Um, yeah. Per employee. So do you spend a lot of your time then like working on the business model and trying to figure out how to scale that, or do you spend your time like in the nitty gritty talking to clients on a day to day basis? Yeah. So or this do you is, have employees who do that? Well, so this is one thing that I am really like internally trying to work on uh-huh. um, is figuring out that best that the best way to manage that time because it is really really difficult. Heck yeah, it is. Um, so right now and historically, I've spent a lot of time on like research because I've had to become kind of the uh, the jack of all trades, um, and. Yeah, like learn networking and learn application hosting and all these incredibly deep technologies um, simultaneously with like growing the business and managing all the finances and all the marketing. So uh, right now, still to this day, um, and I think for for quite some time, I'll probably be managing quite a number of those tasks, mm-hmm. especially like kind of like chief architect of solutions for customers. But as we grow the team, uh, I look to... Uh, and this is how we're going to kind of um, break it out. We're going to define like the vendors that we work with in our company, as well as the product technologies and assign people as champions internally. So we'll have kind of like an internal reference list of like the who's who of what, uh, what different aspects, who's the product owner, who's reading the KB articles on that stuff and making sure that they're versed in it. Um, and then so that what that's going to do is allow me to systematically reduce things off my plate yeah. um, and, and, and assign other people as product owners. But right now I retain like a very large number of those. Um, so time is just really, really fragmented. Additionally, just like my personality, and this is something I'm working to correct because I don't think it's like super effective, um, is working like almost fractally. So I'm very like almost um, – I almost have like an inability to focus exclusively on one task. And so I end up working on like a crazy number of tasks per day. I'm in in many different aspects. And I think that that's actually contributing to some loss of efficiency. So I'm kind of, I'm focusing on prioritizing and and completely focusing on tasks versus um, spreading my time so thin and, and, and not with a lot of depth. Yeah. Um, So I think that's going to be critical. Have you ever read the book, The E-Myth? Uh-uh. Okay, so like the concept of this book, I think he uses like like a like a physical trade as the example, like a plumber or like a construction or something like that. Yeah. Um, and he talks about how businesses are a lot of times started by a really qualified technician, and it's like this person is um, the reason why the business is so great is this founder's drive to do really quality work and like their own skills and their yep. own hard work is what they're building the business on. Um, he talks about like systems on how to like fix that and how to get to a point where you're working on the business instead of working in the business. Yeah. And it's so challenging. It sounds like you're, you're caught up in that position of being the, uh, probably the most skilled person at all this stuff in your organization, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, and I've recognized early on that that's crucial. It's just a matter of like actually getting to that place where you can work on the business and not in it. Yeah. Um, it's really difficult to make that transition, but I think if you uh, define those priorities really clearly and kind of get in the right headspace about like what you really need to be working on and what actually is crucial, yeah. um, it's really started to change my perspective on like what things I'm going to focus on, especially when there's so many, there's so many things to be focusing on that priority setting and like time yeah. management is, oh, becomes yeah. really cru- crucial. 
Um, but yeah, no, it's absolutely instrumental. I think you can't grow any large business, um, by being the person doing everything. Um, you really have to find people, put them in that right role and like, let them flourish and then, you know, deal with the fires as they may come, but not actually be doing all the work yourself. Yeah. We've been going through growing challenges like that over the course of our, you know, time building motion tactic as well. Like, um, for me, one of the the challenges there, like I led our development team and you really want to not sacrifice quality as you grow. And as you're adding people and you're giving up those responsibilities, it becomes this like painful, like letting go of things. Cause you're like, Oh, I might do it a different way. Or like, I have a certain preference about how the end product is. Absolutely. And like giving up on that, like yeah. just huge amount of preferences that you have and like stepping away is a painful process. Oh, definitely. Uh, Yeah. And I do that on the client side and the more clients we get, like my attention can only be spanned across so many things. And, um, and so adding project managers has really helped that, but with our larger clients, it's really hard to separate from them. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and you guys still haven't fully reached that critical mass where you can fully separate. Totally. It, it takes a, yeah. quite a big staff to to get out of that fully. Um, but yeah, I'm in the same position. It's really painful to watch clients that like were early clients that helped you grow a lot and they start to have, you know, some complaints here or there. Um, I'm absolutely trying to like work on that. But, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's difficult because you can't um, you can't sacrifice uh, you can't have perfection, right? Um, yeah. If you're if you're looking to to grow the team, you're going to have to have some of those areas where like things might be a little bit different than what you'd like, or that solution might be a little bit different, or yeah. in in some cases it just completely got messed up or done wrong, and um, you just have to address that, own up to it as a company, I think, and say, hey, like we're going to make that better. Right. We'll get on that. Let's let's get that fixed. Um, yeah. And and yep. just keep moving. I had to focus my time more on helping other people do this job better than me so that I didn't have to be the person to do the job in the first place. Right. Like eventually like there needs to be other people that like just genuinely are going to do this job at a higher level, more meticulous, better QA, like all of it. Um, and just accepting like, I can't create the best product and that's not the point. Like I need to help these people create the best product. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's critical to have the team do it. Um, and and to enable them to like be able to do whatever they need to do, um, yeah. and have a structure in which um, there's checks and balances and and methods for catching things when they go wrong, and you learn. I mean, I think as you start to as you have you ha- as you have clients, you know, asking questions about certain things, or there's different pain points with clients, you you quickly realize, okay, here's where we need to put those systems in place and the checks so that doesn't happen again. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, that's the, the small failures that, that make you uh, great, honestly, because if you put the right checks and balances in place, you start cleaning up all those little issues. Yeah. We have this big list of common mistakes that you might've made on a website and it's our pre-launch checklist. Yeah. Just go through yeah. everything. Like yeah. here's what you probably forgot. Yep. <laughs> what, like as you continue to grow your business, what do you think is going to be the hardest thing to step away from or separate yourself from? Um, probably being in the weeds with the technology, um, like being an engineering background, um, I find a lot of, like a lot of my passion involves the deep nitty gritty technical details. 
Um, but it's incompatible with like being the executive at a company. Um, I I don't think that you're an effective executive when you're in the weeds every single day. So I think the most painful thing will definitely be letting go of like being a system architect and things like that and focusing more on the business. But I I have an equal passion for business, so I don't think it'll be that bad. Um, and long-term I'd like really like to come back to something really technical after we grow this company to a substantial size. Um, may I can get back in the weeds again with something else, maybe. Yeah, yeah it's like the Dyson story, like the uh, the Dyson founder, like he just kept himself in product design. <laughs> he's like hired a CEO, and yeah, he just he wants just, to like focus on yeah. creating quality products. He's like, this is what I want to do. I'm an I'm an engineer, so sure, I'm gonna yeah. go engineer well, products. It seems like it works well for them. Yeah, they that's build right. everything beautifully. Yeah, Joan yeah. Joan says this a lot. Like, um, it's really difficult for. Um, early stage founders to actually transition to being a CEO um, and an executive um, because there's so there's so many things that you're distracted by and and don't have expertise in a lot of times yeah. um, being like an operator and an exec like you know executing on the tasks that need to be done in the right priority yeah. is something that I think a lot of founders lose and that's why I'm trying to really focus on making sure I don't lose focus of that and making sure that I'm focused on the right priorities for growth, which isn't always the nitty gritty details. Yeah. I just got asked right now to join a Zoom call with a client. Okay. And part of it's just like, <laughs> obviously I'm not going to do it because we're recording right now, but that's like, that's where, where the problem lies is that yeah. we have account managers and, you know, with, with certain clients, the behavior that I have to practice is to start directing them to, yep. to um, work with the person who can actually give them better service too in the long run right you know what i mean it's not yeah. I, I i i have infinite you know uh, i don't have more hours in the day than anybody else does exactly and then our time is so distributed towards other things that you're not going to get my full attention for a zoom call but our account managers are super like they're super great they know more about the nitty-gritty than i do so a lot of it's just like trying to delegate that stuff and like tr- and change the behavior I feel like. Oh, definitely. Yeah. This is a big initiative that we're taking to um is pushing people towards like or funneling requests in such a way that's that is scalable and gets them to a person yeah. that can keep track of that stuff. Um traditionally that's been me, you know, in a lot of cases, but changing that uh, mentality to make sure that they are going to like the right person it's the only way to scale the number of requests that your firm takes in. I mean, you can only join so many Zoom calls yeah. per day. Yeah. So it's like, okay, is there is there a particular reason for me to be on this Zoom call, or yeah. you know, can somebody else take care of it? Because we have a wonderful team that that yeah. handles this stuff, and and they'll let me know if if I need to be involved. Yeah. Uh, tell us about burnout. Have you hit a wall? No, fortunately, I I mean, I've gotten like semi close. Um, a couple times I'd say, but not true burnout. I think just feeling like kind of oh, like working too much, losing track of like some of the things that are also important in your personal life. Um, so for me, like one thing that I've been really bad about is like staying on a workout schedule. So that's one thing that I want to circle back to. I need to circle back to um, in terms of like those life balance priorities um, and making sure to carve out time to like work out every single day. Because you always have pressure like early in the morning. You're like, oh, I've got to get to the office, got to yeah. hop on this call. I've already got people asking me things. Uh, so it becomes really hard. You have to carve that time out and like force it. 
Otherwise, the the work can just consume every bit of your life. Um, because there's never there's never an end to the number of things that you could be or should be doing. Yeah, and yeah. I think one thing that's helped me is also the mentality with that. Once you come to uh, terms with the fact that there, because uh, in the beginning I thought, okay, well, as the team gets bigger, the problems or like the number of requests on me might just drop off, and then it'll it'll be more manageable, and then I can carve out the time to go work out and stuff like that. Then you realize, no, this is only going to get crazier and more busy, and there's probably never going to be a time, a point in time that's less busy than now, so you have to just do it now, um, and you have to start setting that priority like immediately. So yeah, I fortunately have not fully burnt out at all. Um, that's awesome. But I, I think being aware of the things that you need to do in order to avoid that are really crucial. Um, because otherwise you can get burnt out. I mean, sometimes it's just, you know, it gets it gets wearing on you. Um, and especially if you're not into something, like if you're not really, really into what you're doing too. Right. It's even easier to burn out. Right. What do you like least about where where you're at right now with this business? What's your which I don't want to say what's your least favorite part, but what do you like least about where you're at right now? So I think um one one of the hard things is has been like combating the mindset of like hyper growth, mm. um, and feeling like you know, uh, <coughs> companies like California startups, right? These just mm-hmm. these insane numbers for growth, um, and feeling like okay, that's really what you know. I, I'm I'm holding myself to that expectation of growth, so I think um, one one it's and it's not even fully like a disappointment. It's just coming to terms with like growing a little bit slower, not taking on any investment capital, you know, just kind of grinding You haven't it out. taken on any investment? No. Cool. Um, so I think that, that, that like dealing with that slower level of growth than I would like to see has been a little bit difficult, but I think long-term, like I still see the vision of why, why to do that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, like it it enables us to focus on the things and that we need to be doing and build a really solid foundation. So I'm really thankful for that. Like yeah. it's kind of a blessing and a curse. Um, I want to grow faster, but by growing slower, we can do it a little bit more stably. Okay. So to put you on a spot a little bit here though, yeah. if dream investor, silent partner gave you, you know, 250 grand today, Sure. Would you have strategies to implement it for growth? And like, what would be the high level? Like, what are you going to prioritize? How are you going to market? How are you going to scale? So, yeah, I, I think like we don't have an immediate plan for deploying that capital right of now course. because because <laughs> we're not expecting to take it on. Yeah. But I think we could pretty quickly find like we're at the maturity level now where we know where to deploy that capital. I think one of the scary things about, um, like early stage startups is that a lot of times they have no idea. They have a great idea, but if you give them like a million dollars, they're going to just piss it all away. Like I've said it multiple <laughs> times. They're, they're like, going to piss it all if, away. If Kyle and I had investors in the beginning, we would not have known how to use the money. We would have thought we needed to use the money. Right. And we would have probably used it for some paid marketing strategy for ourselves. We wouldn't have known how to create them well, and it would have just been gone that campaign yeah like you spin up like some paid advertising and you don't know how to track the campaign thousand bucks a day yeah and you're like yeah you're just melting money and you know not realizing that uh 
that you're not effectively using it. You're not generating any type of return or the return that you need to be on that. But yeah, we're definitely at a maturity level now where we, we could take on an investment, I think, and deploy the capital very smartly. Part of it is, is like, it's that equation between, you know, how fast do we need to grow or want to grow? Um, and, and what can we do on our current trajectory? You know, and and it's very costly to take on capital, even more so if you're just starting with no revenue. I mean, um, that is also a good stage to take it on though, because you, you would get immediate growth, you know, so you don't have to grind it out, but you're giving up ultimately like a very substantial chunk of the company. What marketing channels uh, are you using today or would you w- try to engage if you were going to deploy capital in order to grow? Oh, that's a good question. Um, it's, this is a difficult one because IT is, um, I mean, there's two types of IT companies. There's like the transactional ones that, you know, just you, you come in, you need to get your PC fixed, whatever. We're not in that kind of model at all. Like right. our contracts are very, they're, they're big contracts a lot of times. Um, so this is like a relationship business. Right. They have to be able to trust that you're a good advisor for their company. They're kind of taking you in like as as a CIO. Like that's even kind of what I do is is act as a virtual CIO for companies because they can't afford like it doesn't make sense to hire a CIO when you know you're only a few hundred people or less. So um yeah, I think yeah. <laughs> so does most of your guys' business expand by referral, by uh, – how does that how does that look like when you guys are, are trying to get a new client or a new client comes to you? Is it just – is that generated from work you've done for somebody else? Yeah. Th- so that is that is oftentimes the marketing strategy. Yeah. That's why it's kind of like kind of grappling for how I would even deploy capital because you can't really buy relationships. Yeah. yeah. So um, – I mean, certainly there's a number of things we would probably do. So if we did take on capital for marketing, probably like fix up the website, get it fully flushed out, do some small campaigns around some paid stuff um, and things like that. But just generally like anything that would get our name out there and generate some level of interest to start a conversation um, as opposed to like trying to really sell anything Mm -hmm. on the spot. Um, It's just like letting people know that we exist um, and, and producing more content around IT as well um, and, and like the website, you know, whether that's video content or just really relevant and good details about the state of IT and, and not just those generic blog posts, but like really, really good um, content. So I think that, that's probably where we would spend the money there in terms of marketing. But um, in order to really have somebody sign a contract, they've got to build that like reputational trust either through talking to you in person or by you having such good content on the web that they can already build some semblance of that. Um, So YouTube's another area um, where I think we might go long-term as well. Um, Like we we actually bought some video gear and have not really had a lot of time to mess around with it yet, but (laughs) um, like a Sony a7 III and lens and pro audio and everything – so we might start recording some videos both for like training content yeah for pe- for current customers and then also just some content around just yeah just general information stuff so um yeah a lot of t- a lot of this stuff doesn't actually cost a lot of money yeah. i think it just costs time which time. in turn can cost money if you outsource but right um a lot of it can be done just in house with the right amount of time yeah for sure what kind of 
oopsies have you guys faced <laughs> along the way? Because I'll give you an example of one for us, because I like to be really transparent about this stuff. Uh, I think we talked about this right before recording. Yeah. Very, very early on, we really didn't know how to manage our money well. Yeah. We had a big team, and we were not selling jobs for enough money to cover occasionally, you know, salaries. Tyler and I, there were times where we had to put in $1,000, and ultimately, we've changed that behavior and gotten that money back. Yeah. Um, but have there been any, I mean, like transparently, like any things you wish you had changed or knew? Um, earlier on? Like in terms of spending money, I think everybody does that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's also really critical that you spend money poorly. <laughs> um, that usually it's never been anything too substantial though, mm-hmm. fortunately. Yeah. Um, obviously cash flow is like really hard early stage. Yeah. We've never gotten super low like cash balance, but it's still, you know, it's still a struggle to today. Um, so, so getting ahead of cash flow uh, becomes somewhat of a challenge, I think. Um, in terms of oopsies, I mean, early on that first office that we started and, you know, just started fixing iPhone screens and stuff like that. Um, we, we just went, I think we went to Ikea and spent like $3,500 and just bought all this stuff like furniture (laughs) and like, like curtains. And, and we, we took the, we, it was like lipstick on a pig. Like it was a completely crappy office. In fact, we had one customer tell us that she wouldn't get out of her car um, to come fix her iPhone screen because it was too sketchy. So that was when we Wait, actually was this? left. This was, was off of. Uh, so this was on uh, Mill Avenue, actually. Okay. Uh, but yeah. but south of campus. Yeah. So just like a, just an older office complex, it was not great. But yeah, we went and spent like thousands of dollars and we were only there for like eight months and we handed it back. It's all painted, brand new paint, all this stuff. They need and to pay you for the improvements. Yeah, they yeah. should have, honestly. But yeah, that was a lot of misspending there. Um, and then early, like we just, we just, and this is something that we still do, I think to today, um, a little bit too much. We get a little too starry eyed and just buy like every platform that we, that we see, honestly. So like we've been spending, yeah, yeah, we've been spending so much money on SaaS products, just spinning up things left and right, and I think we've done that preemptively, maybe like perhaps a little too early in some cases. So that's one thing that we're looking at too is just making sure we're not having revenue leaking on platforms that yeah. are just sitting that are not used. You know, they're like two hundred bucks a month, and we yeah. touch it like once a month. Yeah, we, we do that. We try to do. I'd, I'd say quarterly, we print out or look at a bank statement and just look at all the recurring crap. And we're like, why do we have more Adobe subscriptions than employees? Right. Like, huh. Yeah. <laughs> I realize that like there's still, you know, there's a $60 a month charge that like no one's been using that account yep. because person you know, doesn't work here anymore. No. <laughs> yeah. And it's <laughs> like, still it's like 15 of those. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Yeah. We're still there too, a little bit. Um, I don't think it's going to be perfect, but yeah, those are like the tiny oopsies. I think in most cases, fortunately we haven't had any like catastrophic ones. Mm -hmm. Um, just learning how to spend money better, more wisely. Yeah. Have you guys had any, um, oopsies in the scoping process or expectations with a customer? Like any of those, like, Oh yeah. Like they just wanted the world and they thought that you could give it to them. Yeah. This is, this is actually like an active pain point right now. Um, we we have not abundantly s- made expectations clear in a lot of a lot, like substantial amount of projects um, and define the scope of work very clearly. So it it has been a pain point and is today. Um, so we're actively like working on building out a process where 
a client comes to us, we generate a very clear scope of work um, and then gate that project. Like we do not start work on it at all until it's signed off and approved and like the expectations are set. Because a lot of times, you know, you you think that you're helping people out by just like rolling the project, you know, yeah. and they're, they're like, yeah. oh, I need this and this and this and this. And you're like, no worries. Like my team's on it. Like they start it and then we start billing time out on it. And then they're like, oh, wait, we thought that was free. And it, Oh, man. So yeah, this it, is, it happens. Um, it's the same thing with us. And, yeah. And uh, I feel like every project that we get um, and every project that we get the opportunity to create a new contract for, it gets better. Yes. You know? yep. Like we can't continue to revise a project like when we're building a website. Yep. You know, oftentimes we say we're going we're gonna to get sign-offs after wireframes. We say we're going to get the homepage signed off on. It just doesn't happen. Right. And, and in some circumstances, doesn't need to. But later on, the client will come back and say, hey, like, the, it's already in development. It's been staged, you know, prior to going live. Hey, we want to change the layout of this page. Yeah. And, and then, we would, and you're like, well, well, that was done. And they're like, yeah. no, it's not done. <laughs> yeah. the very, One of the very first sites we ever did, we ended up, like, it was almost done. And then they basically were like, here's a list of <laughs> 200 revisions. It was an Excel spreadsheet of 200 revisions. And we ended up completely redesigning the website. Yeah, a single you know, line so. item. And there were literally hundreds of line items, but a single line item would say like, let's readdress the layout of this page, which is like, that's it's not, so broad. That's not a tweak. That's yeah. like, yeah. please redo this whole large, you know, piece. And, and it's like one out of two hundred things. And we're yeah, yeah, and we're early on, so like, yeah, yeah we'll do it, you know. And sure. then uh, <laughs> it just doesn't work anymore. I know. I know. And we've yeah, you know, get in controlling that is is something I feel like we've gotten a lot better at. Our account managers are very good at that as well. Yeah. Um. And and I'm naturally I'm naturally like a yes person. Yep. So I. Oh, it's fall, so you know? it's so hard to say no, but yeah. you have to do it, and I'm, I'm wearing yeah. that too. I'm on the opposite end because, like, Kyle has been responsible for bringing clients to the table for us to service, right? Yeah. And then I've been responsible uh, for creating those products, helping grow people to create those products. So I always hear the tall order, and I'm like, "Holy, how will we do that? <laughs> like, we we might not actually be capable." Yeah. yeah. So it's been a learning process together where where he wants to make sure we're taking care of the customer as best we can. And I'm like, I, I just don't even know how to make that product at all. Like, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and, and it's that? like it be, before it'd be like, all right, like, I guess we'll just commit to doing it. Yeah. Like now we're much better at like, okay, we don't know what we're stepping into. Let's get a, let's get on a call with the client because usually these things happen over email first. So like, yeah. hey, can you do this? I'm like, well, let's talk about it. And in that conversation, we learn everything we need to know if it's a good fit for us or not. Yeah. Like it's not that hard to get to that step, but. Getting there took yeah. a lot of. It just oh, sounds yeah. simple when you say it like that, but yeah, it's like yeah, a, yeah, yeah. a multi-year painful, journey. Yeah, 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 because especially when you want to please customers, and there is a level of like, um, I think this is a very interesting method of doing it. But like, you sometimes you can overpromise and and actually deliver on it, right? Uh -huh. You the thing you don't want to do is like overpromise under deliver. Yeah. But a lot of times if you're like if you're kind of overpromising on exactly what experience you have and you're able to pull it off, like an Elon Musk, right? I mean like he's he's notorious for it. Yeah. Um and it's He'll not pull that it off it's eventually. definitely Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's why everyone shorted Tesla stock a couple yeah. of years ago and they're probably regretting that now, <laughs> but I mean that's it's, it's definitely not Definitely not the the only model, but I think it, it is crucial to kind of moving you forward in the early stages. So that's where I think that 
that you kind of have to do that a little bit. Otherwise, yeah. you're, you're, the amount of work that you could actually do is just very narrow. Um, so I think think that's like a pretty common for businesses like early stage, and then they realize like we are, you guys are, that um, it's not a great way of doing it because you're you can't promise things for your team eventually. Yeah, you some of those things are like in, are good investments to make. Yeah, like like where we're at right now is we want to do more interactive three D animation work. Uh, for for our clients, but we don't have a massive portfolio of that. Right. So we're working on a like an internal project that's pretty amazing and it's an awesome concept to be able to show, you know, future clients and prospects our full you know broad capability within animation. So that'd be awesome. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but it's an it's an intentional investment yeah. versus getting yourself yeah, out yeah. to see and realizing you yep. you're just screwed. Yeah, and doing it for a big uh, like project. You're like, yeah. yeah, we can do that. We'll yeah. find a way. Yeah, I try to limit the amount of things that we're going to quote unquote figure out yep. during the job. Like if we have too many items like that, we're probably in a pretty bad position where it's like, "Oh, I think we can figure this technology out. I think we can figure out this area of the scope that's kind of gray." Like Well, like I said, I think it's a crucial like early stage strategy to do that somewhat yeah. and figure it out as you go and then eventually you reach that size where you know, it's just no longer feasible to be making promises on team members that have no idea. Yeah. Because like, yeah, you might be able to figure it out as like that top dog, but then you have you have staff that are working on it and it's like, uh, they're not gonna, it's not gonna end well. So we've got to stay within like our abilities very firmly. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, we've been recording close to an hour. I mean, is there cool. anything like you want to leave us with? Um, promote your business a little bit. Tell us like how people can get in touch with you and where they can find you. Sure. So um, uh, our website's uh, onboardit.com. Um, and like as we talked about, what we generally do is is manage services. So that um, that's typically a managed fee per employee um, for us to cover uh, the scope of work of just, you know, networks, any of your servers, line of business applications, Office 365, which is pretty comprehensive now. You know, that has SharePoint, OneDrive, Microsoft Teams. Um, it, we're getting into Intune and modern desktop management a lot, um, Teams phones, so all that stuff. Um, we do both cloud-only and hybrid solutions. So some of our larger customers have traditional like servers in place. We can work with that, um, which is a little bit more of a complex environment. Or if you're just like cloud-only, um, we can totally do that too. Um, but yeah, if you, uh, want to reach out to me, my email is brandon at onboardit.com and our general like help desk line is on our website. Um, so you can just always give that a call and, uh, reach one of our team members or if you go to sales, it goes right to me. So, right. <laughs> so yeah, nope. <laughs> our, our company, uh, phone number, like if you Google our company, it's my cell phone number too. Nice. So, yeah. That works. <laughs> take all calls. We'll have yeah. to talk about that after this. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. Cool, man. Sweet, cool, man. Thanks so much for joining. Okay. Thanks for having me.